We are closing out a series called Irresistible. We spent the last four weeks, kind of last week was a little bit of a parenthesis. If you didn't catch it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. My buddy Jimmy uh, shared, and we're taking a trip to Mexico, and so some of you can dive in and check that out. Uh, but here's what we're saying about Irresistible, is that if you uh, have read the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you haven't, man, and read them. They're amazing. But if you've read it, what you notice is that when Jesus walked this planet, he was irresistible to those who were irreligious. That when God showed up on the planet, those who were furthest from God were drawn towards God. And yet at the same time, Jesus was incredibly resistible to those who were religious. And so we've been wrestling with this question, is how is it that if Jesus is so irresistible to those who are irreligious, that the church today is often very resistible to those who are far from God? Said another way, how is it or why is it that the church often is pushing people away from Jesus rather than drawing them towards Jesus? Now, if you read the New Testament, and especially if you joined us for first week, you, you notice that Jesus has just an irresistible way about him, doesn't he? That there's just a way that Jesus did life that was completely irresistible. We looked at the way of Jesus specifically when we looked at um, the, him calling Matthew the tax collector. Uh, and the way of Jesus goes this way. The way of Jesus is the way of family. That is the starting point with God, that you are part of the family, and, and, and so that you belong. And Matthew, or Jesus shows up to Matthew the tax collector, and he sees him, like who he really is, not what he does, but who he really is. He sees him, and he says, follow me, which is so powerful and so profound, and hopefully this will speak to someone right here. He didn't say, fix up your life. He didn't say, figure it out and then come follow me. He said, just follow me. And Matthew couldn't contain himself. He's brought all his tax collector buddies and sinners, and he threw a massive party. And it was so incredible that Jesus was there at the center of this party where the religious and the people who were, quote, right with God never would be. And it said that he was reclining. And you guys know this. We talked about this. To do that was a sign of accepting them. Now, accepting doesn't mean agreeing. He didn't agree with their way of life, but he accepted. He said, you belong, you belong, you belong. Follow me. And as you follow me, as you walk with me, as you begin to discover who I really am, then you will believe in me. And week two, we talked about this, that, that the church had this unifying belief, one central thing that united them together. And it was simply this, that Jesus rose again from the grave. That at the center of Christianity, all of our faith hinges on a singular event, the resurrection of Jesus. And if Jesus did rise from the dead, then he is indeed who he said he is. He is Lord and Savior. And so as a result, all that he said, his followers of Jesus simply did what he 
said. They said, you are master. You call the shot. He said, you belong, you believe, and then you become. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This Jesus was about heart transformation. You become who you are made to be and who God created you to be. Now, the reason I think the church has become resistible is because we've slipped subtly into or into the way of the Pharisees. And the way of the Pharisees, they were there with Matthew's party and they were grumbling at his disciples. And this is often the way of the Pharisees. The way of the Pharisees, the way of every single religion. It's believe the right things, behave the right way, and then you belong. And if you do not believe the right things and behave the right way, then you do not belong. And this happens in churches all across the country. And this is why you see when someone doesn't quite behave the right way, we sadly in the West um, shoot our own and really cause a whole lot of harm. So this morning, I want to wrestle with how do we become an irresistible church? A church that draws a hurting and a broken world to the feet of Jesus. That introduces them to the God who loves them and pursued them and would do whatever it takes to be with them, even go to the cross. Ten years ago, uh, it was a little bit longer than that, but ten years ago, uh, actually September, we started out creating a college young adults ministry called Awakening. Awakening. We had no idea that one day would turn into a church and that uh, our host church would launch us out five years ago and like be our biggest fans, cheerleaders, uh, and we get to celebrate that next week. But 10 years ago, we started out and we had a group of about 30 uh, people and we thought that was okay and it grew all the way for the first three months down to six people. It's effective. And so I'm wrestling with this and going, God, I, I just have a heart for this generation. I have a heart, but, but nothing's happening. What's going on? And so we took like two months off because why? Nobody's showing up. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more awkward than having a full band and six people, right? Getting up to speak and going, hey, let's circle up. You know, it was awkward, and so in January, we decided to do something a little bit differently, and there's a whole, a whole process that I can't share uh, of what God did in me during those two months. Uh, but what we did is we decided to go, hey, you know what, we're going to start a leadership team for this ministry called Awakening to reach this generation. And so we hosted a meeting at our house, and like 20 plus people showed up. I'm going like, where did all these people come from? We had six people showing up, and now there's 20-some-odd people. And so I said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Get your Bible. Now, uh, okay. Um, well, and they couldn't get their phones at the time yet. Uh, but get your Bible out. We're going to read the Great Commission, and this is going to be our marching orders as a um, as a community, as a ministry, this, we're, from this, we're going to try to discern what is the vision of God for this ministry in this area. And so we opened up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. 
Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and we just looked at this passage for a couple of hours. Then Jesus came to them and said, It's been about 40 days post-resurrection at this point. He's appeared to them multiple times. He's appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses during this course of time. He's been teaching them about the kingdom. This is one of his final times with his disciples. And he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I died willingly. I was crucified and buried. And now you can see the markings on my wrist and side and feet. And I am alive. And as a result, all authority. That's the starting point, by the way, for us. It's all about Jesus. It's all because of him. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. All the power. And so as a result of that, therefore, go. You know, one of the interesting things about church is uh, if we could go into the history of the church in, in America and be talking about all these sort of things and what happened with the moral majority and the you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, uh, what unfortunately happened with the church in this process is it became a fortress for us to run into and stay safe in instead of an emergency group to go and rescue others. Instead of being a sending agent for the hope of the world, we began to retreat into our safety Christianese world. And that's why I think Jesus starts with this, therefore, go. Like, like move. Come on now. Like to be a follower of Jesus is to be on the go. To retreat into your own safe little world and just somehow live within your comfort and convenience is not Christianity. It is something different. And that something is very resistible. Therefore, go and help me out. Make. Therefore, go and make. Disciples, therefore go and make a difference of all nations. And he gives them these two things, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next week at our birthday, we have baptisms. It's the biggest celebration. It's the public identification into the community of Christ, of saying, I'm in and I'm on the go. I'm in and I'm on the go. I'm going to be a disciple, and a disciple is one who makes other disciples. That's what a disciple is. A follower of Jesus is one who follows Jesus and helps others follow Jesus. I was just talking to somebody this morning. It was so cool. Uh, they happened to have uh, come out of um, Iran and grew up Muslim, come to awakening, gave their life to Christ. And he's like, they just got baptized uh, about six months ago. And they're sharing with me. He's like, I remember when I got baptized, you're talking about what it means and to make disciples. And this was his line just this morning. Like, this is so 
unbelievably good. I can't wait to share it with people. Isn't that cool? Like, this is so unbelievably good. I can't wait to share it with others. Would you show me how? And for some, by the way, you, and I'm actually, I think we're going to get there this morning, but for some, you just need to be reminded of the unbelievably good that you have. How sweet and how tender is the love of God and that he loves you and saves you and that you have a relationship with God and you're beckoned to make a difference for him. This identification in the community of God and then teaching them. Now what is it? To obey everything I have commanded you. The early disciples said, okay, the way Jesus defined reality was what defined reality. The way Jesus defined reality for the early followers of Jesus is what defined their reality. So Jesus' definition, when he talked about divorce and he talked about marriage. By the way, the disciples didn't like his definition on that. In fact, at one point, the disciples said, who should get married if it's that strict? Thinking like, hey, I just want to be able to divorce my wife to get another wife. Come on, Jesus. But the way Jesus defined reality was how the early disciples defined their reality. Whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever you say, we will do. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so 10 years ago, we're sitting in my living room and we're wrestling with this text and what does it mean for this little, little, very little ministry? And we came up with this line. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. Ten years ago, we had no idea that this eventually would turn into our anthem of a church that's going to rally together and see a generation reached. We just were sitting there dreaming, hoping that God might somehow use us. And over the course of five years, unbelievably, uh, God used us in ways that we could never imagine. Saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people it just experienced new life in Christ through those five years. And I just want to say a few things about this, because this is our vision. This is Awakening's vision. This is who we are. This is why we gather. And the first thing, we exist. That is so powerful. We exist. I I don't know if you've wrestled with that question enough. Why do you exist? Like, why are you here? When you can clearly go, I exist for. It brings clarity. It brings passion. It, It fills the everyday mundane with purpose and meaning. As a church, we have a teams that set up every single morning, and they're preparing the way for God to work every single Sunday morning. We have teams that work on worship and with their kids, and they do all of this for this singular person. Bring it back up. We'll keep it, leave it up there. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. Fundamentally, it's about transformation. 
Jesus was about heart transformation, not behavior modification. Notice that when our, the order of Jesus is believe, or hang on, hang on, hang on, I got it wrong there already. <laughs> Belong, believe, and then what? Become, not behave. Did you notice it wasn't behave? Behave is about what you do. Become is about who you are. See, the way of the gospel is about changing you from the inside out. The way of religion is trying to change you from the outside in. It does not work. We exist. This is the reason we gather every single week. Now, and this is, by the way, why we're launching this generation. Okay, I almost skipped a part. I want to say, yeah, I got time. I want to sit here for this generation. Here's how I define this generation. Between 18 and 28 years of age. Between 18 and 28 years of age. We are a church with multiple generations that exist to reach this generation. Between 18 and 28 years of age. So some of you just turned 29. We don't exist for you anymore. Um, (laughs) No, no, no. But here's the deal. Here's why this should matter. Why this should matter to you. Why this should matter to me. If you're a baby boomer. If you're a baby boomer, don't you want to leave the church in a better place than when you found it? Don't you want to pass the torch of leadership and raise up the next generation of leaders so they can go further and faster and do more than you ever could? Like, that's what we're about. If you have kids, man, this is so good. Don't you want your kids to love Jesus for a lifetime and not just a time in their life? Don't you want them to see a generation of college students and young professionals that are on fire with Jesus, that are influencing your kids and saying what you want them to say, right? They're joining with you. Hey, they're helping you raise your kids so that they love Jesus for a lifetime. We've actually invested a lot in our kids because we want to see the whole journey. So when they're 18, they're ready to be world changers. And if you, by the way, You're like, hey, I'm 18. I'm 28. I got three days left before this church no longer exists for me. Don't you want to be the generation that reaches this generation? There's never been a time in history where that could happen like it is now today where the gospel can spread through the world like that. I mean, there's people right now, I don't get it, I don't understand it, they're watching us around the country and in different parts of the world. Because we have this generation that said, hey, why don't we live stream? That wasn't my idea. Okay. Now, have you ever looked at that? We exist. And you just ever had this, like, creeping question? Okay, that's nice. In fact, that's kind of inspirational. And that hurt my feelings because I was hoping it was really inspirational. That's great, Ingram, but how? Have you ever wondered, like, okay, how are we going to do it? How is the church going to do it? And then think about this. How did 
the early followers of Jesus, a group of misfits and unlikes. I mean, fishermen, tax collector, a zealot. You got all this group of difference together. There was about 120 gathered in the last 40 days that were so committed and so called and waiting. How did that 120 reshape the known world? Jesus comes to his disciples right before he is about to ascend into heaven. And we often sit with the Great Commission, which is, uh, man, I probably preach that more than any other text in our church. But along with that, in Acts 1.8, we get the how this is going to happen. It's often the missing part for us today, but it was indeed the become section of the gospel. Jesus is having a conversation with them, and one of the parts I love is that he is sitting and eating with them, and a number of times it talks about Jesus in his post-resurrected state eating, that he had a physical body. It wasn't just some kind of illusion or ghost showing up. And he's having a conversation, and he's giving them instructions that they need to wait in Jerusalem until the gift of the Father comes. The gift of the Father, the promised Holy Spirit. And then the disciples are beginning to ask questions like, hey, is now the time when you're going to, you know, restore Israel to its rightful place, the kingdom? And he goes, guys, um, that's only for the Father to know, but... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Moving this vision to reality, Jesus says this. You need to wait. And as you wait, and it was about 10 days after this, that they experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So how do we see this movement take place? Well, it begins with the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And depending on your church background, either either the Holy Spirit is completely absent from the conversation, and I grew up very Baptist, so I get that, uh, and or it's the Holy Spirit is the center and sometimes goes way, way, way far over here. And so I want to take a second and just talk about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe that there is one God revealed into three distinct persons, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I cannot adequately uh, explain the Trinity. I wish I could. There's plenty of illustrations that all fall short and are incomplete. That help us understand in some way. Some people have used the illustration of an egg, like the egg has the shell, the yolk, and the white, but it's one egg, and like that's still incomplete. Some have used the illustration of water, and that water, it can be a gas, it can be a solid, and it can be um, a liquid, but it's all water. Here's all I know. That God has revealed himself as one God in three distinct persons, and all play a vital role. And so... The Holy Spirit is God and very God, 
who alone brings new life to the believer and empowers them to live out this new life. Now, I want you to notice third person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. Sometimes the old English would translate the Holy Ghost, and that would be confusing. It's not a ghost. It's not an it, a thing. It's the person. And so, the moment you believe in Jesus, you receive the very Spirit of God. You are baptized. Next slide. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into too much detail. Christians have argued exactly what does that mean, all this kind of stuff. Here's what I know. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes on you, and you enter into new life. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, that the old is gone, the new has come for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as a result, you are sealed by the Spirit of God. That the the Spirit of God is his deposit in you, guaranteeing that all that he said he would do will come true. The Spirit testifies to our own spirit, Romans 8, that we are his children. The Spirit brings conviction. The Spirit brings comfort. The Spirit will illuminate the Word of God to us. Uh, The Spirit of God is, you know, as Jesus would talk about it in the end of uh, John, uh, the Gospel of John, was the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of us and will guide us into all truth. You are indwelled by the very Spirit of God, believer. Okay. Some of you, like, okay, we're almost getting there. We're almost getting there. We're almost getting there. We're going to get there. If you are full of the Spirit of God, then it impacts every area of your life. And as a result, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. Talks about being filled with the Spirit of God. And do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. But the context, and you know, make a lot of application about alcohol. It's actually not about alcohol, it's about being filled, it's about being controlled. Do not be drunk with wine, which is a good rule of thumb. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. This isn't about you trying to get more of the Spirit of God. This is about the Spirit of God getting more of you. It's not about you somehow going, God, I need more of you. I need more of you. He said, no, no, no. When you put your faith in me, you are baptized by the Spirit of God. The Spirit dwells inside of you. You have all of me. Do I have all of you? And it's the yielding of our wills that allows the Spirit to take control. And as a result, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, another way the Apostle Paul would talk about it in Galatians is when we walk in step with the Spirit of God, we experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit, by the way, is just what is produced. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like, don't we all want that? And you know what we try to do? Okay, maybe not we, but I. What I have tried to do is I have tried to be loving. I have tried to be kind. I have tried to be joyful. I have tried to be all these sort of things 
And the truth is, when you yield your will to the Spirit of God and you allow him to take control, he produces it in you. See, the focus is on the Spirit, not the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the the product of the Spirit of God, the product of walking in step with the Spirit of God, of allowing the Spirit to have his way in you, is this is what you will become. And as a result, empowered. But you will receive power by the Holy Spirit of God. How do we see this vision turn to reality? Well, you've heard this before. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells inside of you. You do a little word study on this word power. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Uh, I think it's used, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, 119 times uh, throughout the uh, New Testament. One of those times, I, I just thought was so fascinating. It just caught my eye. Uh, you remember the story of when Jesus was walking, and he was actually on his way to heal, I think that it was the centurion's daughter, I, I'm pretty sure, and he's crowded, and I mean, there's everybody around him, and there said there's a woman who had been bleeding, and I can't really, I think it was about like 10 years or something like that, for a long time, and, and she tried everything to get well, and she just thought, if I can just touch his cloak, Perhaps I'll be healed. And he's walking, he's crowded, he's got people pressed up against him. And then this woman somehow gets in there and touches his cloak. And he stops, like he's on the way to heal this girl. And he stops everything and he asks this question, who touched me? Do you remember this? And his disciples are going like, um, Jesus, <laughs> everybody's touching you everybody's pressed in around you. Hello. And no, no, no. No, somebody touched me and power came from me. And this woman steps forward sheepishly and says, it was me. Same word, power. Could it be? That we've expected far too little from our faith. Could it be that we have expected the mundane and the ordinary and powerful things? Like in Ephesians 3.20 where he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Uh Uh-oh. Think about this. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. You're going to transform this world. How do we become an irresistible community? And God's going like, by the way, I just gave you the Spirit of God. In the words of my wife, game changer. Changes everything. 
Like you're not walking around as an ordinary human being anymore. You are a spirit filled of God, empowered to do the work of God, empowered to do the very things that Jesus was doing everywhere you go. And when you allow the spirit to have control, when you yield your way, when you confess your sins, you go, okay, spirit, I'm going to walk and step with you. And so whatever you say, I'm going to do. I don't really want to go talk to that person. That's a bad idea. See, that's what happens to me when I begin to yield my life. I'll be sitting in a Starbucks or sitting in some other cooler coffee shop because most of you don't think Starbucks is cool. Uh, (laughs) And they'll say, you see that person? Why don't you have a conversation? I don't know them. I'll probably bore them. They don't want to talk to me. Besides, it would be weird. It won't work. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you forgot who you are. Spirit-filled man of God. Empowered to do the impossible. The early followers of Jesus, they waited in Jerusalem. And then the Spirit of God came on. And what was noticeable about the early church was they had become something radically different. So much so that when they would stand before the Sanhedrin, when Peter, I think John, would stand before the Sanhedrin, they're marveled. (laughs) These guys, they are Ben with Jesus. So much so that in Antioch, they mocked the Christians because that's what we weren't called. We were just followers of the way, followers of the way of Jesus and started calling them Christians because they looked so much like Christ. Sadly, today, we call ourselves Christians and the world calls us hypocrites. It begins when we understand that we are spirit-filled followers of Jesus, empowered to do a powerful work. And so, you are here for more. Think about this. You are here for more than a paycheck, than upward mobility, than the American dream, than happiness, than pleasure, than fill in the blank. You are here for more. God would not pour out his very presence into you if he didn't have an incredible plan for you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will declare my grace. You will tell a hurting and broken world about me. You will share the incredibly amazing good news that God loves you, pursued you, that God visited the planet in the person of Jesus, that God took all the pain and sin and shame on the cross and rose again and defeated death, Satan, that we might have life. And here's what it's going to be in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Think about this. You are here for more 
And it's not just like on this planet. If you could get this, like here, Silicon Valley, your university, your workplace, your neighborhood. I mean, what would change if you actually embraced you are here, like wherever here is? Like God placed you, has a plan and has a purpose, and he's empowered you to be here for more. Whatever activities you're doing, you're here. And I think God's got amazing plans for you because he placed you in one of the most strategic places, if not the most strategic place in all of the planet to spread the gospel. What happens here shapes the world. Imagine Imagine if a movement, if an awakening began here and how it would spread to the entire world because of the innovators, and the entrepreneurship, the technology that takes place here. I want to define here a little bit for you to kind of help unpack it. Because when you hear Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, I don't know about you. It means like, I kind of read that and I'm like, that was good for them, but what about me? So I I just want to contextualize it for you just a little bit. So Jerusalem. Jerusalem is close to home. So what's close to home for you? Like Jesus is saying, you will be my witness close to home. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your home, your apartment, your dorm. Like Jerusalem is close to home. For me, it's my neighborhood. Next, Judea. Well, Judea. It's places you go. See, Jerusalem is a city. Judea is a region. And it's just places you go. For me, it's my neighborhood. If Jerusalem's my neighborhood, I have a tight-knit neighborhood. Love my neighbors. Live in Willow Glen. My Judea is Willow Glen. I know, I'm not, I don't go very far. Um, I really, I'm pretty introverted, so I just stay in a little circle. But my, my Judea is Willow Glen in this area of Willow Glen. And so what are places you go? Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's the gym. Maybe it's the coffee shop. Maybe it's your bar. You're like, can you say bar in church? Yeah, we just did. Both yoga bar and real bar. Okay, both of those. Whatever activities, school activities, kids activities, I don't know what it is. But what if you put on a different pair of glasses and said, I'm there for more. I'm called by God, empowered by God to be his witness. And what if you actually believed that when you were his witness, the spirit of God would work through you and empower you to do his work? This is good stuff. Come with me. Thank you. Thank you. Samaria. This is people and places you avoid. Samaria was a little north of Jerusalem. It's a region, and I'm sure some of you know this, but uh, the Jewish people would take a day plus journey and go around Samaria rather than go through it. What are people and places you avoid? I actually looked up on Google places to avoid in San Jose just to see what it would say. Um, East Side was one of them. Downtown was one of them. And then I thought about what are places and people we avoid as the church and homeless and the LGBT community. It's one of them. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to share it anyways. Uh, I... Uh, 
This is just public confession because I think sometimes when preachers get up here and share this, you think, hey, you got it all figured out. And I'm just telling you, this is like honest, raw, happened Friday, I think it was. Um, I'm with my son, and we're going down to our local Mexican market, which is the best ever. Uh, and we pick up a few things, and there's a homeless guy outside asking for money. I happen to know this homeless guy, and he's, a, he's an alcoholic, and he uses it on uh, alcohol. And so I'm like, I was explaining to my son how, you know what, I would have been happy to buy him some food, but I'm not going to give him money to, you know, uh, buy alcohol. It's just not helpful. And he's like, oh, that's right. And then, so public confession. Later that day, I'm now at a burrito shop. You can see a theme in my life. I'm now at a burrito shop with my son. In front of me is a homeless man buying dinner. And I got to tell you, he was really dirty. I'm a bit of a germaphobe. So I'm thinking about the money that he's handing over to the lady, and I'm just thinking, like, maybe she should wash her hands after that. I'm just giving you the honest, like, real side of this, okay, you know? And I had this inkling. Buy him dinner. Just had this conversation with my son. And I came close, and I believe that inkling is the Spirit of God. And I was about to, and he pulled out his money, and he paid. And then I saw him do something incredible. Homeless guy. Left a tip. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was the point where God just said, serious people in places you avoid, are you kidding me, Ingram? Can you afford his dinner? Absolutely. And there's so many opportunities that I miss. Because it makes me uncomfortable. And unfortunately, I think we fall into that. To where we resign to our comfort and as a result become complacent instead of realize we are called to sacrificially serve. And then all the ends of the earth. It's every nation, every ethnicity. There's no place for any type of discrimination in the church. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The continent of Africa, Asia, Europe, Australia, North, Central, South Americas. Did you know, though, that the ends of the earth have come to Silicon Valley? I looked this up this week. I was astonished. 39.5% of the residents of San Jose are foreign-born. We don't have to travel to bring it to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth has come here. But the question is, are we willing to be his witness? Years ago, the Silicon Valley was called the Valley of Heart's Delight. It was so filled with orchards and flowering trees Up until the 1960s, it was the largest fruit production and packaging uh, in the entire world. I believe now the Silicon Valley has become the Valley of Dry Bones. And it is upon the church when we embrace 
that, that we are the spirit-empowered witnesses of God, that he will once more return this to the valley of heart's delight because we see so many people give their lives to Christ. And so, how do we become an irresistible church? It's when you embrace God's vision of you. I know you have a vision of yourself and how you view you, but have you ever thought about how God views you? And it's not God's vision for you, it's God's vision of you. It's what he sees presently now in you. So follower of Jesus, God is with you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside you. Follower of Jesus, you are fully forgiven and completely loved right now at this moment. So get off the guilt trip. Stop allowing the enemy to whisper, you are not enough. She said, I paid too much for that. Follower of Jesus, you are a daughter and a son of the King Most High. You have full and unrestricted access to the very throne of God. The invitation of God to ask whatever you wish, when it's according to my will and my way, that's what in my name means, given. Follower of Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And what God began in you, he will complete. And for some, you are in such a dry and weary season. It's been a long time, and you need to rest on the reality that what he began in you, he will complete. He has not left you nor forgotten you. Follower of Jesus, you already have everything you need to be the person God created you to be. So stop asking him. Not asking him like to do work, but you know, like pleading somehow, God, give me this, give me. He's like, no, 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 I poured out my spirit in you. Like all that I have in you. Father Jesus, you are supernaturally empowered to be a world changer. Like that's how God sees you. Like when he say awaken this generation to new life, it begins when you awaken to God's vision of you. Like you need to awaken the reality of how God sees you. We want to see, you know, revival happen. A revival happens when a revival happens in us, then God will do a revival through us when we awaken to the reality. No, no, no. There are no ordinary Christians. You are supernaturally empowered by God to be a world changer in your world. The other day, I was searching for my sunglasses. Everywhere. Looked everywhere. My wife's like, they're on your head. (laughs) You ever done that? Just searched everywhere, frantic. Just on my head. I believe this morning that God just sent me here to just tell you what you already have. 
I believe God just put me here this morning just to simply remind you that you've been searching for something or someone or somehow this is going to work out. And God's just saying, no, 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 they're on your, they've been on your head the whole time. You've been indwelled. You've been empowered by the Spirit of God. Now go and be. Just go and be. I was unaware that I had them the whole time. And maybe you walked in this morning unaware. And so I just want to invite us. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship. Would you begin a conversation with God? Where you go, God, if that's true, I'm in. Spirit, would you show up in this moment in power? Would you confirm your presence to your people so that they will walk in your ways? They will radically trust you, and may our world experience your grace. In Jesus' name.